Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Seigel. This is the epilogue. I am Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Peter Seigel. I thought you were introducing yourself as the epilogue in kind of a this, Shakespearean this way. This is the epilogue. No, I mean, the, you know, the epilogue in Shakespearean fun. plays was sometimes yeah. a person who would yeah. come on and say, well, that happened, but an iambic pentameter. But and now that we've pentameter. seen what the Citadel Library looks like, people are like, well, is this whole story being told by Sam? Is Sam the epilogue? Oh, are we going to end Whoa, the whole thing? You're just, just going to blow my mind like yep. that? Is this going to okay. be again like Lord of the Rings in the last scene? Is Sam, you know, writing in his florid script in the mm-hmm. book as an old guy and he closes it and an older Gilly comes and kisses him on the cheek with their little many Samuel Juniors running around? All right. Podcast I like that they over. named them all. Done. did it. I like that That's they it. named them all Samwell, like George Foreman exactly. named all his kids George Foreman. <laughs> Didn't the phrase do that too? Don't they I, all have do the same I know? Name, Oh, the phrase. Of? Oh, yes. Yeah. There's Walder, Little Walder. There are yeah, all these different Walder right? phrases. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought. It's, it's interesting that we've managed to link the phrase with George Foreman. Good. This is great. So this week on the podcast, we are going to look back upon season six. We'll talk a little bit about the finale specifically as well. But this is sort of, yeah, it's the epilogue. We're discussing not only what happened over the arc of season six, but also what we expect to happen yes. in season seven, which we has are. been confirmed to be how many episodes, Trisha? The creators say that it will be 13 more episodes split into two seasons. So a la Breaking Bad or Mad right. Men who did these mini half seasons as their final season, which means that maybe we'll wait a year and get six episodes and then hopefully not wait a full other year before we get the last six or seven. Speaking of being whiny, I feel like whining. Come on. <laughs> you have know, to wait a year for I, six episodes? I, want I them to so. do. I want them to do six and a half and I want them to leave it halfway through and then resume the second half of that episode. episode. In like the in the, why not like in the middle of a sentence? Yeah, you know, I want it to be an even break. Six and a half, six and Queen a half. Queen Daenerys, I just found out that... Ah, can you imagine? Yes. It's going to be really good, I think. No. So we, where we left off on Monday was talking about Daenerys. We ran out of time. We, we were literally thrown out of the studio. It was very upsetting. <laughs> yes. So I think we should go back to that scene before we talk about sort of our overarching. So this is the scene in which her. Daenerys is having a conversation with her uh, for, now soon to be former boyfriend, Dario. Yeah. Friend zones him. Friend zone. Really not, far away friend zone. It's not you. It's global politics. I can't tell you how many times I heard that, particularly in my high school years. Peter, uh, I am the president of the Glee Club, and one of the most important alliances I can make is through marriage. It will just reflect so poorly on me if you are are. are united. Yeah, anyway. I have to say my mother was really delighted with the notion of Dario being a mistress, I think for a great many reasons. Oh, yes. (laughs) He was also delighted with the notion, but... Oh, yeah, he was into it. He was not allowed. Just thinking ahead, one improvement we can make in this little podcast is involving your mother more. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. We can do that. <laughs> Nerdette recaps Game of Thrones with Mary Johnson while Peter Sagal laughs in the corner. I'd listen to yeah, that. Yeah, we can do that. But go sure. on. So, so, yes, that was an interesting scene in that, you know, she was very cold, very, very not cruel, but kind of detached. Well, I'm going to do this. You're not coming with me. Nope. Can't do it. Sorry. It's over. Yeah. Also, that means that she doesn't really give a rip about Marine anymore because it's not like he has shown any ability to mm. navigate politics the way Tyrion That's does. That's very true. 
Well, let's talk about this. Why did she do that? The, the, he guesses correctly, as we find out in the subsequent scene, that this is advice from Tyrion. If you're going to show up in the Seven Kingdoms, you're going to need alliances. You're much better off being a marriageable ruler to form alliances than you would be showing up with sort of this consort. Although, as he pointed out, even the great actual queens and kings of yesteryear were getting it on with their servants, aides-de-camp, etc. all the time. It didn't stop them from having marriages of convenience or for or political marriages. So I guess his point was a good one, which is, hey. Yeah. Well, and I think the other point there, too, is that, you know, as much as Daenerys kind of drives me crazy, she hasn't married anyone for strategic purposes. She tried. Yeah, but she hasn't actually done she it. She was gonna. And, I would like and then to the think harpies killed the won't. guy. No, she in the no? books actually she went ahead and did it. She actually got married. Right, right. Um, but in the in the, as we saw in the I guess it was last season, right in mm-hmm. the in the great game finale, the fighting pits, she was there with her fiance who who got knifed and thus uh, ruining all plans for the wedding. So she was going to do that. So presumably she might do it again. Although yeah, I just don't want her to. I don't think she wants to either. And I was yeah. thinking about um, Queen Elizabeth, the actual Queen Elizabeth, known as the Virgin Queen. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about Queen Elizabeth to know if she was actually a virgin. There were rumors about her and the Earl of Essex, for example. But the one thing she did do is we, she stayed unmarried her entire right. life so she could dangle marriage with the Queen of England in front of all kinds of people for political gain. Presumably Daenerys might do the same thing. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It is worth pointing out a line that Dario had. I pity the lords of Westeros. (laughs) Yes, as do we all. It seemed to me that uh, the key line in the sequence was in the two scenes was when she said, actually, I just wanted to get it over with. She didn't really feel anything, Mm -hmm. which indicates Mm -hmm. to me that this is more about Daenerys. I don't know whether you want to call it growing, changing, diminishing (laughs) her heart, you know, in in, in a sort of reverse Grinch becoming three times as small (laughs) as she just I mean, she she as as Tyrion says, uh, you're in the great game now. And those who play the great game uh, can't be distracted by cute guys. She says that, but then she also in the same scene kind of says basically what Baby says in the best scene in Dirty Dancing when she (laughs) says, I'm just scared I'll never feel the way I feel when I'm with you. She's like run wondering if she's ever going to find love or be loved or love anyone. And like, I think she's worried about it more in the sense that no one can marry her for love because she has dragons. Right. Like right. she can't, she's not a normal. She can't no, actually she's not. be loved as a human because she is the mother of dragons. We have seen her in this entire season do a lot of things, but none of them indicated any human feeling. Right. I mean, there was in this entire season. There were no scenes with yeah. Dario that indicated obviously they met, but there were no scenes in which she was in the bedroom with him talking about her feelings or even expressing herself. This is something that you lose, I think, in the transition from book to TV, where in the books are all in the first persons. Whenever even when somebody is acting like a badass, you get a sense of their inner turmoil, their feelings, their needs that they're repressing with Daenerys this whole season. I mean, we were talking earlier in an earlier episode of this very podcast and Greta was like, well, they don't like Daenerys because she's so mean and she's so stone cold and all she wants to do is conquer. And and I said, well, we've had all that in the prior seasons, this is the Daenerys we were working towards. And so maybe this is just part of the same thing, that we don't get to see that part of her that she's had to repress to go be the dragon queen. Yeah, well, to me, it's not even that she's been mean. I just don't feel like she's actually accomplished that. Like, she just hasn't actually what do you mean? developed. She has dragons. She has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's like, conquered everybody. Like, as a character, as like a personality, I just haven't seen. You know, I mean, like you could make the same argument like Sansa has done far less. Right. She yeah. has accomplished not nearly as much as Daenerys. 
but you have seen her go through things and change as a result of them. And I just haven't seen that from Daenerys. You see, that's the funny thing. I think I was, I'm wondering if you and I watch the same TV series mm. because, I mean, we all remember, and we, we don't have to go over this at great length, <laughs> our own complaining along with the rest of sort of the Game of Thrones of sphere of commentators and bloggers saying, what is, why is Daenerys sitting around? Why didn't she do anything? She's just, she's twiddling her little beautiful thumbs and, and, and twirling her blonde hair and not doing anything. And her dragons are in the cellar and she's marrying this guy and she's not leaving Marine. Well, she's done all of the things we wanted her to do, just like Sansa did all the things we wanted her to do. I think the difference is that, um, well, what is the difference? I don't know what the difference is. I don't, I don't understand why you are satisfied with Sansa's change and see that as just being justified, but not Daenerys. I think Daenerys has done a lot. I think it's just happened slower over the course of the show, right? So I, it, everything that happened to Daenerys could have happened really over one season, especially at the pace that this finale went, right? right. <laughs> as opposed to, but I mean, she went from being a child, basically, yes. a child yeah. bride yeah. who was being raped Totally. To taking power over that man, to taking power over all the men in the Dothraki. Yeah. I mean, she's to re- and, and we're not know. and we're skipping over God the 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 the, the wizards or whatever they called of Karth, the people she defeated in that strange place. We're skipping over the slavers who for whom she took the. Uh, the uh, Unsullied. I mean, she has conquered a yeah, lot. I guess maybe it's just the fact of the dragons that it just seems too convenient. Like, it just has never seemed that difficult for her, really. You know? At She's least been in the, through the past at least as much seasons. as Sansa and done more. So I disagree. If listeners out there are looking at Greta or their radio or their podcast, whatever, with a, with a <laughs> tilted, confused puppy look, I am as well. <laughs> arr, 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 okay. What do you okay. want from her? All right. There was that one moment when... when uh, Again, I use the term lampshading for my friend Jess, uh, where Tyrion says in that subsequent scene, this is actually happening. Yeah. Or yeah. as Aaron Burr It's Burma- all happening. It's all happening, Aunt Marine. Or as Aaron Byrne might say, so we're doing this. <laughs> um, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Nice. People write in. They want the Hamilton references. And it's like, oh, my God. I mean, it's almost as if she or rather he was underlying what we've been talking about. Everything that all of us have been saying, come on, Daenerys, get a move on, get some ships, get over there. She's doing it. It's going. You know, the the havoc has been cried and the dogs of war have been let slip. Yeah, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other big things that that happened that prove her growth are the alliances she's forming. And it's giving us a little bit of a hint into the kind of ruler she might be if she is able to get the throne. I appreciated the alliance. Because we have now her and three queens, more or less, of three other... Kingdoms, because Lady Olena is the only noble left in High Garden that we know of. Yes, her son is dead. Her chi- her grandchildren are dead. We have the usurper of Dorne. Yes, on her team, and we Hilarious have Yara sand. of the Iron Islands. So now we have four queens. Yeah, that's cool. Sailing back to the Seven Kingdoms, and she's already told Yara that if she is just and kind and doesn't, you know, have a culture of just raping and reaving, she can control her own kingdom. So we may be headed towards. An Iron Throne that rules its seven kingdoms a little more justly. Well, keep in mind their their opponent in what we presume is the is the war to come, as they often say in this show, is herself a queen who has seized absolute power. Oh, she's not the opponent. <laughs> she's not long. Well, she's, she, she's sitting on the throne they want. So we're gonna have to deal minute. with that. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there first. Let's listen to a couple of voicemails about the finale, and then we'll get into our bigger predictions. All right. Hi guys, girls, whatever. Mark Paul here. Love your show. Long-time listener, first-time caller, as they say. Just have a couple of items for the winds of winter. Love Lady Mormon's speech. It was inspiring and all that. 
terrific scene of her shaming all those graybeards, leading up to that repeated chant of King of the North. But afterwards, I thought, wait, Jon Snow has got to be the worst military leader in history. After all, last week, he ignored his sister's advice and then dropped his own military plans and walked, or rather run, right into Ramsay's trap, even after Sansa warned him he'd do something like that. By all rights, he and his army should be dead. He's a great guy and everybody loves him, so maybe he should be head of HR and not, you know, leading people in the battle. After all, he didn't do so well at Hardhome either now, did he? And then what's going on with Bran and Mira and Benjen? It was really cool that Benjen dropped that little tidbit that there's magic on the wall and he can't cross it, but then he just takes his horse, leaving the cripple and the girl alone in the forest. That hardly seems sporting. <laughs> I love anybody who writes out and then recites <laughs> know, a voicemail really to good. our show. It's Thank really you, sir, good. for your industry. Um, in regard to John's, uh, shall we say, lack of battle acumen, I actually liked that because Me too. as much as I enjoy seeing characters act intelligently, it's one of my great pleasures in, in watching all kinds of narrative art. It's one of the reasons I love Breaking Bad because every time that Walter White faced an obstacle, he kind of outsmarted it in a really satisfying way. It's equally as satisfying just in terms of like observing human behavior to see someone make a terrible mistake mm-hmm. out of emotion. Basically, Sansa warns him, but it becomes a prediction because he does exactly – rather, Ramsay does exactly what uh, Sansa predicted, which is to manipulate um, John through fear, through anger, into doing just what Ramsay wanted. And in the fact that John fell for it. Falling for it implies a kind of foolishness. But we can all think. I can easily think of moments where I knew what I needed to do, what I should do, but the emotion of the moment made me do the foolish, the reckless, the wrong, or even self-destructive thing. And to see John do that when so much was at stake was almost moving, actually. Because in the end, he's just a guy. He's, you know, everybody calls him Lord Commander, and they want to resurrect him. He's so important. But he's just, what, is he 25 at this point? He's a young man who just saw his brother die. So what do you expect him to do? He's now old enough to rent a car. <laughs> Is that where you went? Yeah. I'm doing this soliloquy about human frailty and John's youth. And you're like, oh, wow, he can Insurance be the principal driver. That's great. But that's the idea. I'm, I'm backing up your point that he is just now actually becoming an adult. As we know now. Yeah. His brain is just now barely fully cooked when it comes to decision making. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, that it makes sense to me that. It's not as if the people who are falling in line behind him are the smartest military minds either. No. And so they are attracted to someone who seems to have loyalty. Mm-hmm. And so someone who just stood idly while their brother was killed is cold and harsh in a way that I wouldn't necessarily want to follow. Loyalty and integrity, too, I think. Yeah. You know, he stands up for what's right. Yeah, although sometimes quite foolishly. And sometimes as, as, often as we saw foolishly. when he was murdered. Yeah, uh, to, totally. As he, he said that. He said, I tried oh, yeah. to do what was right and I got killed. So he sort of represents for this viewer and for all of us kind of a, a, a paradox that sometimes the best people do the worst things or end up losing, mm-hmm. which, if anything, is one of the lessons of this whole, you know, benighted saga. So, Peter, you had lamented the purpose or questioned the purpose of Brienne being in River Run, and yeah. we got this voicemail in response. Let's see. Hey, I think the reason that Brienne was sent down to River Run is so that on her way back up north, she runs into Melisandre, who is running south. And as we all know, Brienne has a little score she'd like to settle. So that's all. Thanks. 
That's a that's a fine possibility, but it is a so. In other words, they spent Brienne's entire arc, if you want to use that word, for the season to set up an encounter next season. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't her entire arc this season. It was pretty much she saved Sansa, yeah, which was very was nice of her, and then she got Sansa to Winterfell, which was very, well, no, excuse me, not to Winterfell to the Wall, which was very nice of her, and then she was taken off the chessboard. And like I said, my only supposition as to why they needed to do that was to make sure that she didn't ruin the big surprise arrival of the Knights of the Vale. I think it's because absence makes the heart grow fonder, and she needed to realize how much she loves Tormund Giantsbane. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be for us to realize how much we loved her. It would have been great if there was a shot, you know, I, I can't think of the movie in which you see this, although it's been dozens of them, where you have one side of the screen, and it's yeah. Brienne looking up from <laughs> a battlement somewhere, and there's Tormund looking up, and maybe yeah. they do a little torch song duet without being near each other. Oh, that pretty cute. That would be sweet. So let's think about who else is near River Run now, though, relative to the rest of the geography. <laughs> Jamie's back because we saw him show up at the uh, Red Keep. Back in wa- town. Back in town, yeah. as they say. But Arya is at mm-hmm. the Twins, and is she heading north or south? We don't know where don't know. she's going. I mean, going. she said she was going home, so I assume that means to Winterfell, but I guess it's maybe interesting. Cersei's Westeros. on her list. Yeah, what does sure. she know? I mean, in other words, right. I mean, there's a whole level of like intelligence that you don't know when you have ravens delivering messages over vast distances. But does Arya know that her her brother, or she thinks of him as her brother, and Sansa are back in charge in Winterfell? If she doesn't know that, she'll find out soon. So who knows? Right, but she, did she know that Winterfell fell? Yeah, she doesn't know anything. Even, you know? Who knows what like she maybe, knows? Yeah. And, and clearly <laughs> her first stop in her, on her return tour, you know, Arya Vengeance Tour, right. uh, whatever year it is. <laughs> and she went and took care of the phrase. And presumably who's next on her list would be yeah, Cersei, right? Yeah, I think right? she's going to power through that list. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Yeah. All right, one more voicemail about the finale. Hey, uh, this is Mike from Chicago. I just want to say, first, I've been enjoying the podcast. My question for you guys is, what do you think will become a little finger, Mr. Chaos is a Ladder, in the last season? He was looking pretty icy in the, the last scene when everyone was declaring uh, John King of the North. How is he going to create chaos? The only thing that came to mind for me is, you know, maybe he'll let the the White Walkers through the wall somehow, and that will certainly create a lot of chaos. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's interesting. Like I said on the last podcast we did, we finally found out what Littlefinger wants Mm because so much of his power uh, in terms of his ability to manipulate events has been the opaqueness of his motivations. Nobody quite knows what Littlefinger's after, and that gives him a lot of freedom to do what he will because no one can anticipate it. Now we know he wants to be the king. So a lot of things could happen. Um, You could use that against him. You could stop him. You could help him. You could give him motivation. You could offer him like, oh, you can't be king, but maybe you want to be this or something like that. So it's hard. He seems for the first time and this – it was interesting. He confessed two things. I want to be king. And I love you, Sansa. Mm -hmm. Or words that effect. Eh, He didn't say that. I know he didn't say that. (laughs) He said – I think – I want you by my side. Right. And then he tried to kiss her. Yeah. But insofar as he is capable of having human feeling, I think that's what we saw. And that both makes him vulnerable. I mean, in a weird way, we were talking about a new kind of Daenerys. We were talking about a new kind of Sansa or a new variety thereof. Now we have a new kind of Littlefinger. A and, new kind of and, Littlefinger. And all of a sudden, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how he's going to act. Yeah. You know? and It, and is, it is an interesting conundrum, I it think. Is. And how it is. And, and how does he think he's going to get to be king? You know, what is his plan? Now that we know that's what he wants, how does it work out? 
in his view. Yeah, it seems to me his plan involved Sansa. So, like, if she's not a part of it, then yeah. it's it's. I could picture that everything is sort of like he has to go back to scratch too. Though I don't know. In the books, at this point, he has Sansa. Uh, they are traveling together. I can't quite remember. It's been a while. But, you know, there's a lot of variation. But the point is, is that his alliance with Sansa is extremely important to him, even if Sansa doesn't particularly care for it. More of your voicemails and some predictions in just a minute. Listening to Nerd at Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal. Okay, so we have addressed the finale. Yes, we have. Let's take a listen to this voicemail that is a prediction of what is to come. It feels obvious where the show is going now. The Tyrells and Dorne ally with Daenerys because they hate the Lannisters. Jon Snow marries Daenerys because they're both Targaryens and that's what Targaryens do. And they deal with Lannisters and everybody fights the skeleton people. I just don't feel like there's a lot of surprises left. So I thought that might be a nice place to start off this conversation. You know, it's interesting. We've talked um, even before this podcast began, uh, but people have talked about the fact that one of the things that the TV show did to depart from the books is they really put a stop to the book's habit of metastasizing new characters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, know, and that has caused the path of the books and the TV show to to vary more and more because at any given moment as time goes on in the TV show, at the same general plot point in the books, there's 20 new characters. For example, there was this whole subplot they did, they did away with entirely of another Martell character trying to get to um, Danny and marry her. And that was a huge part of the, of the fifth book. And it's just gone. They didn't want to have new characters. There's a character named John Connington who's like, we're never mm-hmm. going to see. And that's fine. It's made the show manageable. It's made it comprehensible, considering how many times we had to spend three minutes in each scene over so many episodes for so yeah. long. It's great. But now we're kind of paying the price as we kill off, as they kill off major characters and bring plot lines to an end, satisfying or otherwise. There's not a lot left. As this caller points out, who's left to fight? What else do we have to worry about? There's been so much consolidation that it's the same thing that I said last last week, which is that if they wanted to, they could wrap this up in two episodes. Right. They're not going to. But I wonder what they're going to do. Are they going to start bringing in those extra characters that they haven't dealt with before? I don't for know. This purpose? I mean, I think Euron Greyjoy is going to be more of a foe yeah. than we like that. He is a formidable gent. Yeah. Sure. And last time we saw him, he was like, go cut down some trees so we can build some <laughs> ships. Yeah. But like he's pretty, pretty awful. Like yeah, he's he, a pretty, he killed his own brother. He's like, a that, bad guy. He's like the the baddest of the Vikings. And the last we saw of him, he said something to the effect of, "We're not done yet. Yeah. We're going to build a fleet yeah. and go I mean, after I them." I think I think he will prove a pretty formidable foe next yeah. season. And again, in the books, he's doing a lot of terrible things, and so presumably he can do them next season. You know what is interesting, and sort of to your point too, Peter, I think is that. Especially in the first couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, you didn't quite know, at least you didn't know as much who was actually good and who was bad. There was a lot more kind of moral ambiguity of the characters. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting kind of looking across the landscape now because 
it's pretty much good guys and bad guys. Yeah, the the formerly ambiguous have be, have sort of fallen on one side or another. Cersei, you know? for example, right. I mean, you could you could dislike Cersei, but you could sympathize with her that she was trying to protect mm-hmm. her children. She was trying to protect her legacy and her family. That's all gone now. She's just stone evil. She just killed an awful lot of people so she could rule independently. So yeah, she's now totally evil. Jamie, I don't know, man. Yeah, Jamie is, I think, one of the only people who still kind of exists in that gray area. Although Jamie has been becoming good for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way he, despite his threats, took River Run without killing anybody, his moment with Brienne was very sweet. So I, I anticipate one of the things happening is Jamie all of a sudden not being very supportive of what Cersei has done and is going to be doing. I think he's going to kill her. I think he's going to kill her, really? too. Really? Oh, yeah. So the prophecy, Peter, the prophecy. Oh, the Do prophecy. You remember? I remember mentioning the prophecy last week, which what I remember of the prophecy, which I referenced, is that all three of his, her children would die, which has now come true. So the other part, do you remember the other no. part? The other part is the Valonqar will wrap his hands around her throat. What and is kill the Valonqar? It is Valyrian for little brother, which I Ooh. think Cersei has always assumed to mean Tyrion. Tyrion. But could very well be Jamie. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I and our, you know, our producer Robert said, but it says hands, and Jamie only has one hand. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Like, you know, we'll see. I, don't I, know. I give kudos to Robert. For I do remember that from the books. Oriented. I don't remember if this was in the TV show, but in the books, the prophecy also included something about her being supplanted by a younger, more beautiful queen, mm. which she assumed was Marjorie, which is why she moved against her with the whole. High Sparrow and all that. I love when prophecy dictates bad decisions that just facilitate the prophecy. It just is. It's does that just happen a lot? Age old. Story. Does that happen a lot in your life? <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. It's, Peter, you say, shall be stuck in a studio. A man will whine. arguing with arguing with a whiny bald man. Yep. I mean, the one other area that we could go into, and the books I don't think have yet, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, but that the show certainly could, is that we could learn much more about the White Walkers. They could be, for lack of a better term, humanized. They may have you mean like goals. The, you mean like the, <laughs> they may have the, the Night King and his, right. his lieutenants? Right. I mean, here's what we know about them, right? They are an army that fights and kills. So is everybody else on yeah, this show. this is true. They don't eat the babies. They turn them into White Walkers. So when uh. we first were like, oh, God, they're cannibals. That's terrible. It's like, no, they actually you're, apparently you, you make are, and raise You were like one, of those, like, like one of those well-meaning scientists in monster movies. Like, no, we can't fight them. We need yeah. to understand them. And then you're like the first person to get eaten. The White Walkers. Otherwise, it's 13 episodes of just fighting zombies, which sounds boring. It does. It Here's does. the thing. In most television shows, I'm thinking about The Sopranos. I'm thinking about Breaking Bad. I'm thinking about Boardwalk Empire and many others. One of the things that they do is in any given season, there is an enemy. You'd call him a boss in video games who you have to defeat. And then they reset with a new enemy mm-hmm. the next season. So in The Sopranos, I can't remember what season it was, uh, you know, these guys are let out of jail and so they have to deal with them. Or there's in uh, in Breaking Bad, all of a sudden the neo-Nazi mob they have to right. deal with once they've defeated On yeah. Dexter, there's a Buffy. new... Right, on Dexter, yeah. yeah. All of these, yeah. And, that's, and that's something that's very standard and it's a way of handling the season divisions and keeping the tension over the season and then making yeah. people come back for the next season. So that's something they haven't done a lot of in Game of Thrones, at least not with that that sort of coherence and clarity. But I wonder if, like, the next season they're going to introduce a whole new threat. Euron is a very good candidate or yeah. something else other than the 
game pieces that we now see just to create that tension. Oh, no, Daenerys was going to have a fight with Cersei, take over and sit on the Iron Throne before turning. But then all of a sudden something else happened that she has to deal with. Maybe it's Euron's fleet coming after her. Maybe it's a third force. Maybe who knows? Maybe John in the north will all of a sudden have to deal with the um, maybe maybe Liana, Lady Liana uh, Mormont of Bear Island is a traitor and she's, you know, who knows? <gasps> How dare you? No. no. How dare you? I'm just no. doing something very unlikely. But you see what I mean? Is yeah. that yeah. they might, the creators of the show might have to like bring in a whole new element just to keep the tension going before we get, as you say, as we're all saying, to that inevitable conflict. I wonder too, it seems to me like there are two options with the inevitable conflict. Either it all gets sorted out who's in charge between everybody down south and then they head north to fight the White Walkers or everyone sort of disparately fights the White Walkers and whoever rises out of that ends up being the winner. So I think a couple things have to happen and could help with the tension, right? So part of why it feels like things are inevitable is that it seems that there's no way to beat the dragons if you're human. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Danny has the dragons and seems to have a pretty good uh, hold on them and can make yeah. them do what she wants now – but if the dragons have to be used to build a dragon forge so that they can make enough Valyrian steel swords to fight the war, <laughs> and they're sort of as, if they're sort of grounded, as it were, then suddenly Daenerys is much more vulnerable on the Iron right. Throne. And so all these alliances she has, I think Yara maybe doesn't genuinely doesn't want the Iron Throne, but those Dorn ladies have no qualms about killing people to get more power. No, and so she's not necessarily safe when she gets there. These alliances are just about killing the Lannisters. As soon as you defeat the first enemy, then you have to decide who the next one is. Right, right. I was just thinking that if I were Benioff and Weiss and sitting around, I'm sure they've already done this, um, and written the next season and thinking, how can we introduce more tension? How can we make things more difficult for our characters? I would take away the dragons. That's like thing one I would try to figure out. How do we remove the dragons from the playing board? Because all of a sudden that makes Daenerys a lot weaker, a lot lot more beatable. She puts her in more peril, thus more interest. But I don't think that can happen, right? Because there's the uh, the dragon prophecy. Here's a thing that I was reading. I I did some wiki, you know, wiki of ice and fire reading because I was trying to figure out (laughs) some stuff about the Citadel. Uh Yeah, tell us why you did that. I did it because I was trying to find out (laughs) stuff about the Citadel. And and I I read something that I had forgotten, which is at one point in, I think, book four, I think book four, one of the maesters tells Sam, we killed the dragons. Why do you think there aren't any more dragons? We Mm. killed them. We maesters. And the reason they did that is because they want there to be stability in the kingdom and they want to be in control of, of basically technology. Dragons are a kind of technology. As you said, they're an air force. So it's possible that the maesters, since we now introduced the Citadel as a setting, maybe the maesters are going to step up and do something contrary to I kinda like that. Daenerys's uh, interests. I would like to put money down that Sam will save the day one way or another. He's going to find something in that library that's going to change the game. Right. I'm excited to meet the Archmaester. I'm going to be looking carefully for casting. Oh yes, that'll be fun. Who gets for, to be the archmaester? Oh, are you going to do it? I mean, I would gladly be the archmaester, I but think I think it's should. going to be one of those like Ian McShane. Help, type help me things. out. Who was who the actor? Brilliant British actor who played Dumbledore after oh, Richard yeah. Harris died. Michael something. Michael, the guy from uh, the Singing mm-hmm. Detective. Michael Gambon. Got it. <laughs> I was going to say. Something similar, but I wasn't going to pronounce it right. Michael Gambon should yeah. play the Archmaster. There you are. Done. Like Michael Gambon is Archmaster. Apparently that... Uh, Do you want to start... He's the I, only actor yeah. in England they haven't hired, so why not? <laughs> Him and Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, well. Well. A, oh, my. Yeah. Man, if he showed up in Game of Thrones, that would be pretty fun. I would. Yeah. I would like it. Yes. <laughs> um, was there another point about... Oh, yes. There was something... Uh, we haven't actually... There is another voicemail. Let's listen to that voicemail. Do you voicemail. want to listen to it? Yeah, please. 
Hi, I'm Ethan Jones from Yorktown. A while ago, we learned that George R. R. Martin had said that the ending to Game of Thrones was just a bittersweet ending. And my theory for that is that it's not going to be one person on the Iron Throne controlling the kingdoms. I think it's just going to end up all of the seven kingdoms go back to their seven major houses, and then the crown ones belongs back to the Targaryens when Daenerys comes back in. That's just really my theory. And then, of course, I think all of them have to team up to kill the White Walkers because otherwise they're kind of screwed because even with the spells, White Walkers aren't dead. They're magical beasts. Just the people that are with them are dead. This is true. That's it. That's all I think of the bittersweet ending of the show. I I think the ending, by the way, is going to be just like the ending of the Phantom Tollbooth where all the forces of knowledge gather together to fight the demons. It'll be very sweet. That is sweet. It is. Okay, so we have one more prediction that we'll listen to. Mike and San Antonio here, longtime listener, at least for as long as you've been going. And as always, congratulations for a fantastic season. Your show is a integral a part of my enjoyment of Game of Thrones. But here is my theory, that the wall will come down, but it will be because of Bran. Remember, he's got that little burn thing or whatever when the Night's King touched him. The same thing that let all the White Walkers get into the tree. I predict that that same mark is what brings the wall down. Trisha, you are looking pretty excited over there. It's true, right? The magic of the children of the forest that kept the White Walkers out of the tree cave was broken when he got touched by the Night King. Right. That same magic ostensibly is what is in the wall. And so if Bran crosses through the wall to south of the wall, then so can the White Walkers. Womp, womp. Well, I, I honestly, I think that the prediction is good that the wall will come down because of a couple of reasons. First of all, the producers of the show tend to like enormous physical set pieces, and that would be a nice one, <laughs> uh, as we just saw with the explosion of the Sept of Baelor. And uh, there's also sort of a dramatic tendency that I've seen in these guys that I, I understand have seen, have done myself, of, of bringing things toward an ending by wrecking things physically. By, by showing that these stories are coming to an end or reaching the climax by destroying the set is something you see a lot in the theater. And I think that they want to do that, that the wall will come down, the final fight will be engaged, and whatever happens, the world will be transformed. So the scale of the wall and the distance to Winterfell, yes. would it coming down create an avalanche that wiped out, you know, how how many villages Molestown's gone, right? Uh is it, is it that so. big or no? It's 700 feet tall, they keep saying. So. And I, it's way far away from Winterfell. Okay. It's a couple days. So I don't think they have a worry about that. Okay. I think if you're standing right underneath it, you might be in trouble. I think, who is it? Uh, who's in charge now? Ed? Dolores Ed. Dolores Ed. Yeah. Dolores Ed might be in trouble. <laughs> so another thing we've heard a lot from people, actually kind of over this entire season in terms of hopes, things they want to see in season mm-hmm. seven, a lot of people want to see Bran warg into a dragon. That's Ooh. like a very common theme, actually. Wow. Are they, are they shipping Bran and a dragon? Yes, I know that word, nerds. <laughs> do you know that word? Shipping? You didn't know that word? Greta, you don't know shipping? This is because she's never on the Tumblr. That's true. Nor, or does, nor does she have teenage daughters. Are you guys going to tell me or just make to fun of me? To ship is to speculate, postulate uh, romantic relationships between fictional characters. Oh, fun. Um, is that what is? Is that like an acronym or something? It's, no, it's, it's short for relationship. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So when you so if you're sitting around and you're fans of say Sherlock, yeah, and you decide uh-huh. to and you decide to ship Sherlock and Watson, that's an obvious one. Yeah, that's that's actually really. It, obvious it's kind too. of it's kind of like a positing slash fiction, 
without actually sitting down and writing it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So Who you, has time for that? Yeah. So when Just you say, oh, things. wouldn't it be? I mean, for example, you ship um, Tormund Giantsbane and Brienne. Mm-hmm. For sure. When you speculate that you're <laughs> shipping them. That's what the kids would say. Okay, but I don't think Bran would have to be in a romantic relationship with a dragon. I know. No. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was exaggerating for okay, comic okay. effect, Greta. I do that sometimes. You were, you were misusing <laughs> yes, the term. I know. Just to confuse me. Right. You're listening to Nerd at Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal. We made senior superlatives. You guys all remember these from your yearbooks, right? These are yeah. like, you know. Did you guys get any? I almost got most earth friendly, but my best friend got that it. That was a sting. Really? In your they school? took that away yeah, from well, you? Well, I think it I think it was biggest stoner. Really? I think it was the nice version. Then yeah, it was like a euphemism for biggest stoner. Were you a stoner in high school? <laughs> well, this is a conversation for a different sort of podcast. In other words, Peter. yes. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Yeah. That's really great. Well, Marty is still a vegan, so I feel like she deserves it yeah. more than I do. What about you, Trisha? You got most ambitious. No, but I was editing the yearbook, so <laughs> of I wasn't she allowed. Was. You were in you charge. Were once a maester, always a maester. <laughs> I was editing the school yearbook and newspaper and running our school's TV station, so I was not eligible <laughs> to partake in such things, I don't think. <laughs> Who knew you would end up in public radio? What an amazing, strange turn your life took. And you, Peter, did they uh, have uh, most li- most likely, <laughs> Most likely to spend a lot of time obsessing over a sword and sorcery TV show. <laughs> oh, good. How, wow, how prescient. How prescient. Did they were they at that time? Oh All right. Gosh. So this is what this is what we did. We went back and actually I found some actual senior superlatives online because I don't know what the kids are doing these right, days right, other right. than shipping. <laughs> and uh, so here we have uh, here are some nominations. Uh, best smile is Ramsey or formerly best smile. Mm-hmm. Um, most likely to succeed is Daenerys. I think she's got yeah. dragons. Yep. Least likely to succeed is Cersei. Is that actually in your books? That would be sad, no. It would be. It? <laughs> Not anymore, certainly. Yeah, being most likely to need an intervention would be Tyrion. I worry about him. Do you? Also yeah. seems like something maybe instead of printing in the yearbook, you should address quietly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be one way of giving a hint to your friend, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. What, what am I picture doing in here? Biggest flirt was Marjorie. I think the, the male version of that could be Braun. You know, you could get oh, that yeah. each of them. Oh, yeah. I think Marjorie, I can imagine Marjorie and Braun posing for that picture together. Mm-hmm. That would be really great. Yeah. Worst flirt. Tormund. <laughs> it's not going well for him. He's trying, though. Well, he's, he, he's, is, a, he's a very sweet. big flirt, though. He's just he not very skilled. In terms of size. Yeah. <laughs> Best couple, Jamie and Cersei, of course. Ugh. They're uh, also kind of, well, Sam and Gilly, I guess, are the only other actual couple. Yeah, they really. seem happy. I don't know. Yeah. They're kind of passionate. I mean, Bran and Mira are kind of a platonic couple, but they seem that's to get along true. quite swimmingly. That's yeah. very true. Although I do want, yeah, I wonder how that's going to, now that she has to drag himself to the wall, I wonder yeah, if they're going to survive Yeah, Benjamin couldn't that. leave him a horse. Oh my gosh. You know, I was looking through old yearbooks and their one category is couple most likely to get married, which like, Ugh, can you imagine the pressure? Awful. Like, if you're a senior in high school? I, I found one in an actual yearbook, best shoulder to cry on. That's oh. obviously Gregor Clegane. <laughs> And uh, class clown is a tie between Tyrion, Varys, Bronn, and Sam. I don't think Varys is a good class clown. Oh, they played him for so much comedy this season as one of the things I complained about. Okay, what's next, Peter? Oh, we have uh, prettiest is uh, all the Dothraki calls. Mm, 
you know, they, I like I like where you're going with this, but I take issue with it. Really? Yeah. They look. They have such great, you know, eye makeup. Yeah, man. But Dario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forget. You have a thing sure for Dario. <laughs> you have a thing for Dario. Definitely. I forget. Trisha, do you have any disputes with that one? I think that. Kit Harrington is actually the prettiest mm. of all. <laughs> but the man bun really took the prettiness down a notch because it was a lot about the curly hair. And then with the man bun, he's a little less pretty. And also the, you know, scars. He's he's a little battle-worn. So what about most likely to age well? Is that, a, is that an actual thing? No, I but I mean Melisandre, right? Oh, clearly. <laughs> yes. Her or Liana Mormont. Well, she has more time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true, Liana. Yeah. So I was, she's not on this list. And I was actually talking to Trisha before about this. I was like, she's Liana. not in her scene. Liana Mormont is not in her senior yearbook because she graduated early and is already off at college. She has no time for these. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Damn it. Um, most dependable. That's another real one I found is obviously Podrick. Oh, Podrick. Podrick. Uh, and uh, the, the only other one I found was Teacher's Pet, which is clearly Grey Worm. That's a really good one. Come on. Yeah, that is good. E- even more than uh, a Miss End Day, I think. Maybe the only other contender for Teacher's Pet would be Sam. Yes. Because he really That's wants true. to please he other really people does. and loves books. Oh, he does. That he's library. A, he's I a nerd. I just want to be in that library I all know. the time. So speaking of the library and Sam, just go Google like Sam Library Beauty and the Beast for GIFs and see what you find. <laughs> oh, yes. I saw really, that one. It's a really, really good one. So can I ask you guys to, to sum up your feelings about this season? Yeah. Yeah. Trisha, do you want to start with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I ask you, will you do it? I think that this was... My favorite season because of the main reason that we were excited about it from the start, which is that characters we care a lot about are finally starting to interact with each other. So there's fewer chess pieces on the board, which means that we actually get to see characters who we think have a long game, Mm -hmm. ally with each other, fight with each other. And instead of having the pace of the show feel like it's an adaptation, it's starting to feel like TV. And I think that's helping a whole lot. I think there was a lot of speed in this finale, but overall in this season... We didn't have three episode arcs where someone was in a wheelhouse or three episode arcs where someone's in a box or three episode arcs where someone's just on the King's Road, which in the earlier season, sometimes that happened a lot Mm -hmm. where people were just, I mean, and and there was character growth and there was development. There was interesting things that happened when Brienne and Jamie go on and on and on trying to get back to King's Landing. But at the pace we're going now, I feel like that would have been a half of an episode. Yeah. And there there were episodes earlier in this TV series, third, fourth, maybe even to the fifth season, where it was, as I said earlier, two minutes here, two minutes there, two minutes there, because you have so many plot balls in the air, you have to keep them going. Plot balls. Plot balls. <laughs> would you like some hot and fried oh, no. pot, plot balls? Greta, what did you think? I think it was my favorite season also. Of all of them. Of all of them. I think it came together really beautifully. I liked the pacing, too. I love that we're off the books, even though sometimes it does feel like things are a little cheap, especially in the humor department. I think in the end, it leaves so much more room for theorizing. And like, I think this conversation is more dynamic and fun because none of us know what's actually going to happen. That's certainly true. And I love that so many ladies are on top right now. I think it's really fun. All men must die. That's your preferred position? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that the women are on top. What did you think about the season, Peter? I want to find out more about you. Um, no, I 
I, as, as listeners have heard, I have been disappointed in some aspects of the season. At the same time, I thought some what of the things... What do you mean, Peter? Yeah. No, I did. I don't know if you heard me say that. Dare we I was going So many people have walked up to me who work here over the last week, and they're like, I'm glad Peter's feeling better about yeah. the show. <laughs> people were worried. They it's were right. worried for you. It's they just really a television show. Feelings. I have real problems. I'm, I don't confuse them. I think that uh, there were some amazing things for all the reasons you said. There were also, I think, that the Battle of the Bastards, the last episode, was one of the great set pieces. Oh I don't know. If, I don't know if they'll ever top it. I hope they will because it was pretty amazing, just in terms of a piece of filmmaking. One of the best battle scenes ever. I, yeah, and as I, I said, I kind of collect them, and I can't think of a better one. But also, as people heard, there were some I thought bad things in terms of the manipulation of the characters, characters doing things because the plot required them to do that didn't make sense from their perspective, but only made sense from the showrunner's perspective. And I think what you're what you're getting here is it's like you know when you know they have like I forget what to call, we call it an estuary where you mix fresh water with salt water. This was this <laughs> season. I know it's a metaphor. Go with me. This season was a mixture of television writing sensibilities. And George R. R. Martin's sensibilities, which are different, and they have different values, and sometimes it worked out really well. For example, moving things along, getting people to do things, yes, thank you, but also falling into a kind of predictability that George R. R. Martin's glory and genius is he almost always avoids. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about you know why it, an I, a middle-aged man, got so obsessed with these books and then this TV series. What about what is it about their quality? And part of it is is that it completely defied all the expectations that I had ever learned over a lifetime of reading this stuff. And th- there were times in this season of the TV show where that happened, especially with Hodor. Yeah. But there were also times when it didn't happen and it just became another TV show and I found myself sitting outside it going, "Oh yeah, they're doing that." And that was because of the glory and the appeal of Game of Thrones for all the prior years, books, TV show, that was particularly disappointing. But Am let's give sense? the show creators credit for having an end game in mind. Yeah. Not that George R. R. Martin doesn't, but I mean, it's been, what, 10 years since the last book came out? Not that long. It came out in 2012. 2012? Okay. But plenty of time for him to have... It's oh, been. excuse me. So it's been five years since the last book came out, and we have no sense really of if or when he plans to finish the books. Whereas the show creators, because of business constraints, let's yeah. be real, that's the only reason there's a difference. If George yeah. R. R. Martin had needed the money, he would have finished the book. Yeah, but he doesn't. <laughs> right? Like he has no deadline yeah, no, pressure left in his life, other than people yelling at him on Twitter. I suppose. Yes. So Is we he on Twitter. Uh, he is actually. Oh, okay, sorry. And every time I see him on Twitter, I think you go should write be your book. You should be writing. Book. Whenever yeah. time anybody sees him doing anything, including sleeping, people <laughs> are like, "You should be writing your book." But we have a sense, and I feel confident that we'll get a sense of conclusion from the TV show. I'm not sure we'll ever get that from the books. Yeah. Truth. I also, just, yeah, I think th- I like that they know. You know, they've agreed with George on what's going to happen, and it's going to be good. I think. Yeah, I hope so. I just hope that it doesn't. There, there have been signs that it was going that way. That it devolve into just another TV show, which it hasn't been for me. Maybe to many people it is, but for me, because of the quality that I'm trying to talk about in terms of the books, it's been more and different it's than more that. More than just a TV it's more than show. just a TV show. That's really sweet. Yeah, I it's know. A, it's a recap podcast. As someone who loves TV, perhaps the most of all the narrative mediums, I would say that a really great TV show is better than an impenetrable, unending book series. <laughs> <laughs> Bam! <laughs> and I will take your ire at Trisha Bobita on Twitter. 
<laughs> oh, that was really great. That was really amazing. So this concludes our recaps for season six. I think now is the time to remind you that Trisha and I have a podcast called Nerdette. No, really? Tell me more. We do. Last week we talked with Lindy West, who just wrote a book called Lindy West that is, is all great. over the place. I'm a big fan of her just when she used to write for The Stranger in yeah, Seattle. Yeah, she's really wonderful. We also this season have talked with W. Kamau Bell, who has that show on CNN called yes, United does. Shades of America that's pretty cool. Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom. And we talked to Stephen King about corgis. Like there literally only about corgis. So if, if basically if someone likes you two and wishes that you were talking to someone more interesting than me. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is the place to go. Yeah, they should I can't check blame it you. Out. Yeah. Think about it. We're just on Nerdette. Yeah. Yeah, just search for Nerdette Podcast. We're also Nerdette Podcast like on Instagram and Twitter and Goodreads and all sorts of different things. So Goodreads? You can keep Yeah, Goodreads. I wow. read books. Is it time for me to say <laughs> how much fun this is? That yes. I, I like doing this more than anything else I do, which is probably <laughs> alarming to the people who pay me to do that other thing. But honest, it's so much fun coming in and talking to you ladies about uh, <laughs> boobs and dragons. We are glad to have you, Peter. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you for I having me. I owe you me. some cookies. You do. That is, by the way, this is true. I get paid in cookies that Greta makes from her Unless mother's recipe. Unless I don't make cookies. In which case, I sue your ass. <laughs> I feel like that's a good place to conclude. <laughs> this show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Thanks also to our interns, Maya Cole and Sebrin Mallard. Joel Meyer is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. We'll see you whenever the show's back, y'all. See you next year. Next year, wow. I know. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.